All right, Lord, we thank you um, for this, Jesus. We ask that you would increase, Lord. Um, I know that you do this in small groups during the week. Um, I, we ask you and invite you to do this more and more on Sunday morning, Lord Jesus, uh, just to use every member of this body uh, to build up your body, Lord. Um, give us uh, the words and activities that you want us to share, the images, the visions, anything that you have for us to share, Lord, and, um, and just do that during the week as well, Lord. We invite you to work through us, loving God. Thank you that you love to do that. That's how you have chosen to do it uh, through, through us. Um, so we praise you and we thank you for that. Amen. All right. So one of those things was a word of instruction. I, I did prepare one, you know, didn't know how this would go. So uh, this was awesome. But it's interesting. A couple of things I just want to highlight is Aaron thanked uh, Sharon uh, just for this, this organization, not this organization, this ministry called Freedom in Christ. And uh, that is going to be offered for men uh, in January by Jeff. Um, so if you have any questions about that, fantastic uh, thing. Talk to Jeff after the service. And also, uh, the, the passage uh, that the Lord gave Sharon this morning uh, to Ephraim, let me, what was it? I will make you faithful in the land of suffering. She's going to find it for me. Uh, that is uh, kind of what God wants to speak to us about today. He's going to talk to us about uh, what he wants to do with us in this wilderness. Uh, wilderness, land of suffering, we're in a place, we're not home yet. Uh, we, we are passing through this place. Yes, yeah, so the Lord's going to make us fruitful in the land of our suffering in this wilderness. All right, so let's get into that today. Last Sunday, we started a new uh, series based on the Gospel of John. So we've been drawing close to God together uh, to hear what he is saying to us through the Gospel of John. This is a, a book that God has spoken to his people, built up his people through for millennia now. And uh, John 1, last Sunday, we focused on the Word, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things, everything that's been made, all things have been made through Him, through the Word. So we've got our attention drawn to the Word. And then the, the radical news that this Word who is God, who is with God, who through him all things were made, came in the flesh. The word became flesh, took on human flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God with us. This is his loving act of incarnation coming into our world. Now, in that same passage, uh, there's uh, another person that's highlighted. Uh, it's John the Baptizer. So this is a gospel uh, of Jesus written by John the Apostle, one of the twelve. And he's going to highlight for us today the jo another John, John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. Okay, So here it is, John 1, verse 6. He's speaking of John the Baptist here. There was a man sent from God. Okay, God sent this guy, whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, the light which is the word of God, so that through him all might believe. He himself, John the Baptist, was not 
the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John the Baptist sent by God a prophet to point to this light, the word of God who had come in the world, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, the word of God in the flesh. So the, listen to 119. Now, this was John, John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? So Elijah was dead a long time ago, um, but there was some idea that Elijah would come back to, to life uh, at the end of the age. They're asking, hey, are you Elijah? John said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Moses spoke of the prophet, the one who would lead the people Israel. Uh, they, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, using the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Straighten your path. Straighten your life. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. All right, a lot going on there. Let's unpack it. First off, easy question, where is this happening? Where's John? In the wilderness. The wilderness. Okay, in verse 28, we get more detailed location. Verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, east of the Jordan, east of Jerusalem, where John was baptizing. The wilderness back then, what did it look like? It looked like this. All right, this is, this is what it looks like when you go east from Jerusalem out toward the Jordan River, toward Bethany. I'll go back to the other one real quick. Uh, barren, <laughs> dry, wilderness, harsh, suffering. Man, bring your own food, right? Bring your own water, bring your own supplies. And it's about 40 miles to go from Jerusalem out to this next spot. This is approximately where Bethany was, where John the baptizer was baptizing people. Interesting. So, so God's speaking out there. Now question, if you are a Jew living in first century Jerusalem, Israel, where do you go to draw close to God? Where's God's presence? It's supposed to be at the temple. Yeah. So what in the world is God doing, sending this prophet out in the wilderness, calling people to come out of Jerusalem, out of the temple area, out to the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord? What is going on there? That doesn't seem very convenient. He's already got a temple in Jerusalem. If you wanted to hear the word of God, if you wanted to... Uh, be around the activity of God at that time, where would you have to go? Outside. Outside the system. Outside into the wilderness. That's where God was moving. Don't miss this. It's going to apply to us in a minute here. Next fill-in. God, through his prophet John, was calling people to step out of the mainstream cultural system, the system that was set up, the flow, the mainstream flow, to prepare themselves for the Lord, 
to make their path straight for the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist is sent by God to prepare people for the unveiling, the revealing of the word of God in the flesh. All right, and we read elsewhere, how is he doing this? Well, he was calling people to confess their sins, take their sins off. Um, this, is, this is how they were to make their way straight, um, to uh, be baptized. It's a picture of cleansing, a picture of repentance, to be prepared because God was going to come. And then it happened. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Word of God in the flesh, the Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one, the Son of God in the flesh there with them. It was time for him to be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. God's powerful personal presence in some visible form descending upon and remaining on Jesus. Anointing Jesus as the Messiah, the King. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this, Jesus, is God's chosen one. Let's capture it next. Fill in God, the Word. Jesus showed up, showed up in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Who saw this? Who witnessed this? Besides John the Baptist. Yeah, anybody who heard the call. Who heard the call, the voice of the Lord, and obeyed that call, 40 mile journey, by foot, maybe donkey, out to the wilderness, some God-forsaken place, to hear the voice of God, because that's where God was active. That's where he was present. And that's where he appeared. That's where he showed up with his people, for the people. Why out there? It's so strange. He's got this temple. Well, to understand the why of that, let's look at that mainstream cultural system in first century Jerusalem. Why might God be pulling people out into the wilderness for this? Few groups that were active. These are the big primary movers and shakers in that culture back then. Number one, the Pharisees. These were the dogmatists. All right? These, every, every cultural system, human uh, enterprise uh, that's doing something has a goal and a way to achieve that goal. The goal of the Pharisees is to get people super obedient to God's law, the, the law given to them through Moses, uh, and protect them from even coming close to disobeying those laws. So adding a bunch of laws, a, a new code that they need to follow in order to prevent them from disobeying God, because their thought was, hey, if we obey the law perfectly, then God will come. That was the goal. And that was the way they were going to do it. Follow our code, do things our way, and they would enforce this code, they'd go around, um, etc. 
And do you remember why they didn't like Jesus? He didn't, he didn't follow along. He didn't submit to their code. He tweaked them. All right, next group. So the Pharisees, they're the big group. They're the, they're the main players in that culture at that time. The next group is the Sadducees. These guys were powerful, but they were compromisers. The Sadducees were the compromisers. Few wealthy, powerful families. This is the aristocracy. These are the power brokers. Majority of the ruling party and high priest and the temple. They controlled the temple, which is the center of life in Israel, right? God was supposed to be there. Their, God, their goal, stay in power, keep the temple running. All right, And their way was to compromise with the Romans, whatever it took, and remove any disturbances like Jesus who criticized the temple. Remember Jesus came in there and cleansed the temple? Why would Jesus go in and cleanse the temple? Because it had become corrupt. God wasn't working there anymore. All right. They didn't like Jesus because he didn't submit to their authority or their ways. He criticized the temple. Uh, he denounced it and foretold the destruction of the temple as well. Jesus called them to repent instead of the other way around. So if you're in power and some guy comes in, it's going to be hard to adjust. Right? So Jesus is the Messiah. He comes in and they're not ready to follow him. A few did, uh, but not many. Next group, the zealots. These are the activist deconstructors. All right, these, their goal, it was varied. There are different pockets, different subgroups, but they shared the common goal of getting rid of the Romans. That, their hatred for the Romans is what kept them together, but there's no clear rebuild plan afterward. This is classic with activists and deconstructors. Tear down the existing system. Um, well, what are you going to do next? I'd, we'll figure that out later. All right. God didn't support their way or goal either. Jesus was not into this as well. And then the Essenes, this is a smaller group. These are the spiritual elitists. These were, let's get all the way out of society. Pharisees aren't strict enough. We need to go even more strict. And uh, so they're out there as well. All right, now, back to the question. Why is God showing up and calling people out to the wilderness? Because God was not in these human projects that had been built up in the name of God, around God. God was not in that. That was not God-ordained. That was not God's uh, spirit generating those things. That was human ideas. Hey, we're going to do our own thing. These are towers of Babel. We're going to construct something to make God do what we want him to do. This is the human tendency. I'm going to reach out and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even though he said don't to, it will kill you. I'm going to do things my way because I want to be like God instead of submitting to his good rule and reign, instead of submitting to his voice and doing what he calls me to do. So God's like, no. God let them do their thing. He allowed them to run with their projects. And what's the result of those projects? Where are the Sadducees today? Sadducees. <laughs> Sadducee. <laughs> yeah, same place as the Zealots and the Essenes. They're gone. The zealots actually uh, spurred on their own destruction. They got what they wanted. They poked that bear called the Romans, and the bear crushed them and ate them because God was not with them. God, destroy, or God threw the Romans. He used them as a tool to destroy that corrupt temple complex, just like Jesus predicted. They're gone. You know... God wasn't in it. 
God's not in it. It will not remain. It will not stand. Everything will be shaken except the kingdom of God. Shaken and removed. These things were shaken and removed. The Pharisees are still around. These are the, the Orthodox, the Orthodox Jews. Um, and there's about, being generous, there's about two million in the world today. And, um, and they don't like Jesus either. They continue to be like, no. He's, he hasn't conformed to our system. All right, now, that's back then. Let's look at our situation, our cultural situation, this moment. Mainstream culture here in California. All right, now there's a lot of subcultures, of course, but if you're in here, if you're in this culture, if you live here for a while, you are breathing the air of a human project, various human projects. You're breathing it in, you're drinking it, whether you know it or not, whether you want to or not. The culture here and now, where are we? Here's a quick cultural overview. I might be getting a little too geeked out here, but bear with me, it'll be brief. Here's a cultural overview of Western culture. Um, if you're living here, you're part of this thing. This is going back, let's pre-Jesus to about the year 313. Uh, let's just look at that zero to 313 AD. Greco-Roman culture, many gods, goddesses, philosophies. Uh, we're shaping people. Um, paganism, witchcraft, the occult, uh, various forms of spirituality. Uh, Status-oriented, power over the weak, that was big. In that cultural set, that's when the word of God came. It made his dwelling among us. And it's amazing. A lot of that stuff is gone. A lot of that stuff is gone. God came in, infused that cultural setting with the gospel, and by 313, it had started to die out. That leads us into the next cultural moment, Christendom, about 313 to early 1700s. Lasted a long time in there. That's where there was a marriage of the political powers uh, and the church. It was not great. <laughs> yeah, there, there were faithful Christians in that, faithful followers of Christ in that, um, who attached themselves to God and walked through this. But here, the church was powerful politically. Uh, politics and church were mixed. Cultural Christianity. If you were born in Europe at this time, you were Christian. Baptized, you're a Christian, default. It's who you are. All right, that's not where we are. No. Starting in the late 1700s and bringing us to now, we are now in this post-Christian culture post-Christian culture. Out of Christendom came the secular humanism. At the beginning, we had human reason and God's revelation together. Now, God's revelation has been squeezed out. It's all about human reason. And we're in a worldview. There's a worldview that we're, we are steeped in. The goal of this worldview, personal happiness. Individual personal happiness. That's the highest goal. That's the highest aim. All right? Find happiness. And where do you look? Inside. Inside. Your authority, your highest authority is you inside. That's what this worldview teaches. The goal of personal happiness, the way is independence. Authority is you, which means subjectivity. Your truth, my truth, your authority, my authority. Uh, look inside. Freedom. Freedom is highly valued. No limits, don't constrain me, don't put your stuff on me. And loosening commitments, 
right? Free commitments, you know, hinder my freedom. It's an attempt, and this is Mark Sayers' quote, attempt to build the kingdom, love, joy, peace, health, happiness, comfort, human thriving, without the king. That's the human project right now. It's big. It's here in the Western world, but it's, it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. Mainstream culture has stepped away from God to do its own project without God. This is the air we breathe. This is the water we drink. And it is active trying to form and shape you. Whether you want it to or not. Whether you're aware of it or not. And we are at, I mean, we're, we're at the epicenter of this. This is an interesting stat. Look at the top 20 most unchurched cities in the U.S. Hey, we're on top. <laughs> And this is probably higher now. These are back, I think, 217 uh, numbers between 2000-2016. 60% of people have not been to church in the past six months. So they're kind of gauging um, commitment to the Lord through church attendance. So 60% of people, it's probably higher now, in this area have not been to church in the past six months. All right. Will this human project last? Pursuit of happiness, personal subjectivity, personal authority. Is that going to last? Man, history is filled with relics of these human projects. Tower of Babel, I mentioned that one. Greco-Roman culture, you can go see the ruins. You know, there'll be more ruins. More and more ruins. These human projects will fail and falter. Something else, some other human project will rise up and take that one out. All the while, God is quietly and busily in the wilderness gathering his people, forming us and shaping us into his kingdom, his eternal forever kingdom. Now, in this cultural context, where is God? Where is God? Where's God? Somebody says, hey, where, where can I find God? Sharon's pointing to here in her son. Yeah, we're two more gathered. There I am with you. You're the, where's the temple now? I'm looking at it. We're the temple of the living God. We are the place of his presence. This is where God chose and continues to choose to show up and to speak and to reveal himself. If God is calling you into relationship with himself, he's calling you into his body. You can't get away from the church. You can try. We may irritate you for a while. Yes, we're flawed, we're imperfect, but this is how God has chosen to do it. The wilderness was unpleasant also. There's no, like, good food out there. There's no good lodging. It wasn't that comfortable. People are cranky and rude. Sometimes the church is like that. Sometimes we're really loving. Whatever. That's where, it doesn't matter. It's not your choice. God is active, speaking, building his people among his people. If you have come into a relationship with the living God, he will lead you into a relationship with his sons and daughters. It's where he works. It's where he speaks. It's how he's been doing it from the beginning. 
Now let's ask the same question we asked of those other projects. What is the goal? More specifically, what is God's goal? What's his aim? Next fill-in. He, I stole this from Mike Jensen, who borrowed it from uh, Dallas Willard. He, God, is calling people into his kingdom. That was what Jesus was doing when he first arrived and went public. Repent and believe the, the kingdom of God is at hand. He is calling people into his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom, and making us who are in his kingdom into genuinely good people. That's his aim in you. He wants to make you genuinely good, not just on the outside, not just when you're in a good mood, genuinely good inside and out. Good people through whom he will rule and reign over his new creation. That is God's project. That's what he's doing. Sometimes personal happiness is going to have to take the side seat in this process. That's not his highest aim for you. You will be blessed. You will find fullness of life here. But his big aim is to conform you to the image and likeness of Christ. To make you like him again. Really good. Inside out. Loving. Patient. With self-control. All those fruits of the Spirit. All those fruits of God. That's what he's working in us. This is God's project. And it will stand. Forever. It'll last. So, how do we how do we be part of God's project, come into this, live in this, while we're also living within this mainstream cultural complex? We go to work, you know, we read the news. Um, he's not calling us, some of us don't read the news because, yeah, there's reasons to not read the news. Uh, he's not calling us to be a scenes. He doesn't want us to pull out and live in the hills. All right? He's called us to be in the world, um, to be part of the work that he's doing. Because through you and me, he's going to call others into his kingdom. He's got us on the ground. So how do we do this? How do we uh, avoid from being shaped and formed by these mainstream human projects that are going a different direction rather than being formed and shaped by God? That's hard, right? It, there's a tension. It's, it's challenging. Just think about your, your phone, man. The notifications, all the things. This thing is wired, designed beautifully to pull you in to get your attention through all these different apps and stuff. It's designed for that. There's some really good, I would, I don't know, man, the video games today, they're so good. I would have trouble if I were younger and I could do all the stuff, not just spending my life in there. It's so cool. It's easier than the real life. And if you die, now you get another life. Things are designed to grab your attention, to grab you. And when they do, they're forming you. They're shaping you into something, whether you believe it or not, whether you notice it or not. They're working on you. So how do we live in this world with these things? Uh, 
We're not going to become Essenes. The Essenes were these, these male celibates. They were, I mean, they were extreme. I mean, that's not going to work. God's not in that. God wants to form and shape you in the midst of this. What is God's way then? What's his plan? How's he going to do this? He shows us right at the beginning of this church, of this, this project. Acts 2.42 through 47. We're just going to look at the headline here. This is what those who had repented, believed, come into this uh, relationship with God through Jesus, this is what they did. From the beginning, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the New Testament. The New Testament points to the Old Testament. They devoted themselves to God's word. They were in God's word together. They devoted themselves to it. They gave their heart, their mind, attention. Right, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to being together with others who are following the Lord, because that's where God is. To the breaking of bread, that's eating together, but it's also communion. We're going to do that in a minute here. And to prayer, praying together. Moving on, they also shared with each other. They served each other. Uh, they blessed each other. They looked after each other. They sacrificed for one another. That is God's way. And it's easy to get away from these things. These are not natural things that maybe you're drawn to. But this is where God is working. This is how he helps form and shape you in the midst of a culture, a flow that's going a different direction. Spiritual practices. They help us step out of this doomed human cultural project and participate in the work and life of God. They actually help us abide in God in the midst of this setting. Let me give you some examples, this time here and there. You, to be here, online or here, you had to step out of the flow. You had to put some things on hold. You had to turn some things off. Right? To be here, Judy and I were talking about this morning, just getting here, right? Getting here, here in person or online. It's a battle. It's like going out to the wilderness. But you listen to God's voice. Because that's what he's doing. He's calling you out to be with him, to hear his voice, to be with his people. All right. Uh, during this week, the small group, we did this on Zoom. You know, we gathered together on Zoom as best we could do, and we prayed together. We got into God's word together because that's where God was calling us. God's calling you to come outside regularly to be with him. And he's not calling you just to do it solo, although you need to do that as well. He's calling you to do that with other people. Small groups, prayer group. Uh, I have this personal practice I've told you about many times. Three times a day, my alarm goes off, 8.50, 11.50, 2.50. I stop, drop, pray. All right? And it's not always easy. Sometimes I hesitate and put it off. And they're like, nope. It's a discipline. To get out of the flow, get out of the busyness. Good things for a better thing, to be with God. Because that's what God's been calling me to do. Morning Bible study, that helps me get my mind in God's word, be shaped by it for the day. Another practice is repentance. Repentance is just about, hey, I've been living in the world. The, the culture's been shaping me. I've been living according to it, following its ways instead of God's ways. We slip up, we fall into that, we drift, we wander. And God says, when you do that, confess, repent, get back. 
So we're going to do that as we practice communion together. All right, I'm going to give you a moment to just let him speak to you. Here's a couple questions that might help. What is God calling you to step out of? To get out. Okay, time to put that away. Put a, time to put a time limit on that. Time to just take that out of my life. What is God calling you to step out of? Build some boundaries around whatever you need to do. It's, it's defeating what God wants to do in your life. It's hindering you. It's where you're part of that human project or your own personal project instead of God's project. What is God calling you to step out of? And then, what is God calling you to step into? He'll give you something else. Something good uh, to pursue. Let's just pray on that real, real quick. Lord, we ask you, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to show us those things, Lord God. Help us see those things you're calling us to step out of, step away from. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your patient mercy and grace, calling us out of those things that will just end up a relic, a dead relic in the end, Lord. Help us leave those old, dead things behind. Help us, Lord. Sometimes we don't have the strength to do it. We're, they're, they're just, we're tangled into them, Lord. Help us hear your voice and follow you out of those things, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. It's your love that calls us out of those things. And then, Lord, we ask that you would help us see instead what you're, you're telling us to, to hold on to, to pursue. Those things where we can be close to you, hear from you, and where you will form us, you will shape us, living God. Lead us into those things, Lord God. Praise you, God. And during this last song after communion, if you want prayer for that, sometimes it's good just to air that out, bring that into the light. The prayer team will be there during that last song. So now let's go to where this good work of God in your life began. Uh, Jesus was with his disciples. It was the night before he was arrested, tried, crucified, where he laid down his life for our sins to earn the forgiveness of sins that we needed so that we could be with God. We could be reconciled to him. While they were eating together, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks for it. He broke it. He said, take and eat, all of you. This is my body. It symbolizes his body broken for you and me, for our sins, to set us right with God. If you have some bread, if you have that peace, go ahead and take, receive what he's done for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
And then he took the cup. He gave thanks for it. He offered it to them. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. This symbolizes my blood of the covenant, my unbreakable commitment to you. My blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Receive it. Lord, we thank you for your loving self-sacrifice for us. You've demonstrated in flesh and blood that you are good. And you are committed to our good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We renew our commitment to you through this, Lord, today. Help us follow you into fullness of life.